Are you excited? Yes. Some of you have been with us since that very first evening when we met uh, in my home, in my wife uh, Natalia's home over um, just on the other side of the canal. And uh, what God has done over the past nine or ten months has just been so exciting and so encouraging. Whether you were with us then or whether this is your first time this morning, look, if, if, if you would, please get to know us. Please ask us about this thing that God has called us to in Ottawa because we are fired up about it. We believe that God's hand is on us for it and we would love for you to consider being a part of it as well. So uh, lots of opportunities to talk about that, uh, maybe after the service or, or at other times if you want to meet for coffee through the week or whatever. Whatever it might be, but we would love, love, love to tell you more. One thing that's going to be a regular feature of our Sundays when we get together is going to be uh, having teaching from the Bible. I will carry the lion's share of that, but there will be others that will be up here as well helping us in that. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Um, I didn't introduce myself, did I? My name's Rich. Hi. <laughs> my name's Rich. And uh, yeah, it's my wife, Natalia, um, at the back. Natalia, give us a wave. And that's little Joshua that she's holding, and you already met little Zara, who is up here at the front. But we love that you're here this morning. Can we pray together? Then we're going to open the Bible together this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love, we love that we can gather in this place. Jesus, thank you that you're the King of Ottawa. Uh, you rule and reign over all of Ottawa, over all of Canada, over all the nations. And uh, thank you that you have move things in such a way that we can even come into this incredible venue, that we can lift your name high, that we can open the Bible and learn about you, learn about what you've done. As Andrew said, learn about the grace that has been shown to us uh, through you, Jesus. And I pray that that would come through now as we, uh, as we open the Bible together. God, I pray that Jesus would be seen, that he would be known. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help me as I speak. And that you would indeed speak through me. I pray this for, uh, for Jesus' fame uh, in Ottawa. Amen. Amen. All right, we're, uh, we're starting a series this morning that we're going to be in for quite some time. It's a series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you might know that there are four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, And three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're kind of a synopsis. They're kind of an overview of the life of Jesus. The shortest of them by far is Mark's Gospel. And we're starting a series in Mark this morning that we're going to be in for quite some time together. Why do we want to look into Mark's gospel? Well, this is going to give us weeks, months, in fact, to really look in depth at the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, We started a while ago by doing a series on a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that in in that time, uh, some 2,000 years ago, roughly, was in a part of modern-day Turkey in a city called Ephesus, and the letter's called Ephesians. And we started as a church looking at that together, but after that series, we wanted to get into something that was just going to be looking at the life of Christ for quite some time. So that's what we're going to be starting in this morning. What we're calling that series is Jesus, Con or King. Jesus, Con or King. And the reason we've gone with that title is because people in Ottawa will have all sorts of different thoughts on who Jesus is. Some people, many in this room, many Christians in this city would think, yeah, Jesus is is King. He's the promised Messiah. What I mean by that is he's the promised one that we read about in the earlier pages of the Bible that that the Jews of, of old were waiting for and waiting for. And finally, he showed up. And his name is Jesus, and he's the Messiah. He's the king. Yeah, that's who he is. He he is who he said he was. 
But then there are others who have different views on it. There are others that would say, oh no, Jesus did exist, but he was, he was just a really good guy. He has some good teachings. Or maybe Jesus did exist, but he ended up becoming a bit of a legend. You know, the guy in himself, you know, some nice stuff to say, but his followers kind of turned him into a legend. His followers ended up saying, oh, well, he did these miracles, and he did all of these incredible things, but he actually didn't do that. It was kind of a mind game to get people just to follow their rules and, and to do things that they want. People in our city can have all sorts of different thoughts on this, and Mark's gospel answers a lot of the questions that perhaps you're even asking yourself about Jesus. Just who, who was he? And even still today, as Christians believe that he's not dead today, he's actually alive. Who not just was he, but who is he today? That's why we're excited about going into this series together. This series, again, that we're calling Jesus, Con or King. But I want us to, to, to ask an even more basic question as we start off in this series. And it might sound like a funny question, but it's an important one. And it's this. Who cares? Like, seriously, who who cares? Why should we even care whether Jesus was who he said he was? Why does it matter? Like, even if, even if he was, surely it just mattered for life 2,000 years ago when he was walking the earth. Surely it just mattered for ancient times. For life today in Ottawa, in my job, when I go out for a drink with my friends, when I go to a cafe, when I do life as it is today, modern life, who cares who Jesus was? Because he's, he's old. He's historical. There's no relevance on my life today. That might be how you feel about the question, you know, why, why are we even bothering looking into this? How, why does it matter? Who cares for life today? Well, one reason I would say it does matter is this. We are all worshipers. Whether you're here this morning and you would say, I'm a worshiper of Jesus, or I'm a worshiper of, uh, of Allah, if you're, if you're uh, uh, Muslim, or I'm a worshiper of Buddha, or whatever else it might be, and I don't just necessarily mean major world faiths, We are all worshipers. We are all made to worship. We all have things that we look to and that we pursue to give us meaning, to give us purpose, and to give us satisfaction. Now, in in kind of Bible times, Mark was writing mainly to a Greek audience. I don't know how many of you, maybe if you did some like kind of Greek history or classics or, 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 or anything like that and looked at those periods, you would know that back then they would name their gods. They had many, many gods and they would give them names like Zeus and Dionysus and, and whatever else the, the, the names might be. In our culture today, we don't really do that. We don't really give our gods in our culture the same sort of names, but boy, do we still have gods. In our culture today, our gods might be things like our work or our fashion or our sexuality or our money, our bank balance. It might be our retirement plan. It might be our house. Everything that we've got gets poured into the house, gets poured into the cottage, gets poured into the cars or in the boat or whatever else it might be in all of these things. But you know what? It might not even... like These things that I've just listed off, these aren't all bad things. The strange thing about us as worshipers is sometimes we can end up worshiping things that are actually good things, but we turn them into being God. Things like family, as I said. I love my family. I love my wife. I love our two kids. absolutely adore them with every part of me. But if I'm not careful, I can find my entire meaning, my entire purpose, my entire satisfaction in my family. And my family is not a bad thing. That's a gift from God to me, and I'm so grateful for it. But if I start looking to my family as though it's God, I'm just going to be disappointed. And, and even more so, if my family looked to me 
as God, they're going to be sorely disappointed. So it might not necessarily be bad things that we pursue. It might not necessarily be bad things that we worship, but we can treat good things like God things and end up in enough time being disappointed. God has made us to be worshipers, but He has also made us to worship Him and Him first. It's one of the commandments we read about in the Bible. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, God's just trying to give us a law. He's just trying to give us a rule. No, He's trying to help us understand the way that we've been designed. He's trying to help us to understand the way that He has made us, the way that we have been built, and to get the order correct so that I can further enjoy my family, so that I can further enjoy my job, so I can th- further enjoy my friendships, my relationships, and other things that God has given me. And I do that by making sure that He is first, and that my meaning and my purpose and my satisfaction and my identity is found in him first. Russell Brand says this when he talks about, he's talking about addiction, okay? We can become addicted to all of these different things that I mentioned. We can get addicted to things that are really, really harmful, of course. Russell Brand has this to say. He says, I cannot accurately convey to you the efficiency of heroin in neutralizing pain. The mentality and behavior of drug addicts and alcoholics is wholly irrational until you understand that they are completely powerless over their addiction. I know this might hit really close to home based on some of your own experiences or friends or family or whatever it might be. But even, even as Christians, guys in the room, if, if you're here as a Christian, we can be quite quick when we talk about addictions and talk about things that we pursue to kind of go to the, the hot button stuff like drugs and sex and alcohol and all these things that can be really, really bad if we're, not, if we're really not careful. But you know what? This line, the mentality and behavior of, dr- sorry, that should be of, of drug addicts and alcoholics is wholly irrational until you understand they are completely powerless over their addiction. We've all met people or we've all had stages in our lives or maybe you're there right now where maybe for you it's not heroin but maybe it's your job. And the way that you are pursuing it, the way that you are pouring everything into it, if we were to look at it, it would actually be highly irrational. You're working an insane amount of hours more than you're being compensated for. You're stabbing people in the back just to try to get ahead perhaps. You're just not satisfied. You get into the job and then as soon as, as soon as you're in there, you're on to Google or on to the next thing, trying to find what the next step is on the ladder and just not resting. Behavior that just consumes you and it affects your sleep and it affects how you eat. It affects relationships and all of these things. And you know what? Even out of something like that, which seemingly on the surface might be innocent, it might be good, it might actually be something that you have become addicted to yourself. Or maybe it's family, or maybe it's recreation. I had a friend visiting uh, from the West Coast a couple weeks ago. He's from uh, Vancouver Island, and he's a pastor in a church there. I said, hey, how is it at that church kind of uh, getting people to come along on Sundays and being committed on Sundays? He said, you know what? It's really, really hard because so many people there, even so many people in the church that he's uh, serving in, just everything that they do is for the weekend. Remember that old Loverboy song, Working for the Weekend? I will not sing it right now, so do not ask. Okay, no, there will be no... You're missing the point, guys, okay? But working for the weekend is what they do, many of them on the West Coast, because of recreation and skiing and snowboarding and getting out on mountain bikes and all of that stuff. Guys, listen, that's not bad. These things are not bad. I love a lot of that stuff myself. But man, these things can become gods. What about for us here in Ottawa? We don't quite have the mountains in the same way. We've got rivers and lakes. But what is it in Ottawa? What are the things that we pursue in Ottawa like nothing else? I want to identify, I've been a student of the city for about 10 months now. Uh, Natalia and I have only lived in Ottawa since last November. 
But you tell me whether you think I'm right. There's some things that I would definitely identify that, that are gods for many, maybe even some of us in this room in Ottawa. One would be power. One would be influence. A big one, I think, is qualification. Qualification. We live in the most educated city in Canada. Okay, Per capita, more people in Ottawa have post-secondary education than any other city in our nation. I cannot tell you the amount of times when I have been asked, and it's not necessarily a bad question, but oh, what university did you go to? Or what degree do you have? Or what did you study and where? And all of these things. And in our city, it can get treated like currency. It can get treated like, oh, you studied there, or you have this degree, or you have that degree, and suddenly you've achieved kind of another step on the social ladder. So for us in Ottawa, one of our biggest gods is qualification. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, comes in at that and says, no, there is another way. There is another way that your qualification is, 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 is met or that you achieve it. I'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it's good news for us here in Ottawa. In light of all of this, in light of all of these things that we pursue, in light of all of these things that we follow like crazy, we are built to follow, we are built to pursue, and we, are, we, we will get all of these things no matter what, no matter what the cost, and we'll move things out of the way, just like, like paparazzi chasing Bieber or whatever it might be. We'll just like move heaven and earth just to get the shot, just to get the thing that we are going for. In light of all of this, in Mark's Gospel, and this is a central theme, I would say the central theme in Mark's Gospel that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks, Jesus shows up and he says something different. He shows up and he says, follow me. Follow me. He's not asking people just to come and to follow necessarily just a way of life or a certain type of teaching. He shows up and he says, follow me. This is a central theme in Mark's gospel. This man that comes and says, follow me. Now, not only that, Mark's gospel is actually giving us the story of, uh, of another man, of Peter. Now, we've come to know Peter as the Apostle Peter. But in that day, when Peter first met Jesus, he wasn't the Apostle Peter. He was, he was Peter the fisherman. He was Peter the fisherman. And Mark's gospel is really the story of Peter meeting Jesus, deciding to follow him, and how his life is completely transformed by it, and the way that God then goes on to use Peter in amazing, amazing ways. We can read this in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that was Peter's earlier name, okay? He saw Simon and Andrew, Jesus saw him, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. So this is a story of Peter meeting Jesus. And everything that follows is because in this moment, Peter says, Yes, I will follow. How do we know that this is Peter's story? Two really quick things. First off, this is what's handed down in the early church. I won't go into the history of it right now. If you're curious about that, I happily chat with you after the service or another time. But the earliest Christians had it handed down to them through oral tradition, and it was understood, it was never debated among the early church, that Mark's gospel was the record of Peter's encounter with Jesus and living a life with Jesus and following Jesus. The second thing is simply this, is Mark's gospel itself. As you're reading it, the perspective that you get is, is clearly Peter's perspective. There's a lot of an emphasis on what things were like for Peter. There's a greater emphasis on what things were like uh, for Peter as you go through Mark's gospel. 
Now, let's ask a question here. There would be many people in Ottawa who would say, well, if we're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or any other part of the Bible, I think it's just made up. Christians in the room, maybe you've had conversations with friends like that. I just, I just don't think that I can trust it. You know, this book that was finished being written roughly 2,000 years ago. No, I just don't feel like I can trust it. Let me say this first. It's a legitimate question. I do believe that you can trust it, but I think if we just respond to that, oh no, you can, full stop. Well, that's not really serving people. That's not, that's not being terribly gracious. We need to be open to the question. It's a good question. It's a searching question. It's a question that provides an opportunity to explain and to do something that Peter actually talks about himself, which I'll mention in a few minutes, which is to give a reason for the hope that we have. It's an opportunity to do that. It's actually a good question. But on that question, let's ask this. If Peter, as one of the earliest church fathers, okay, the Apostle Peter, as we've come to know him now, all right, if he was wanting to write a fabrication, if he was wanting to make Jesus out to be a legend, if he was wanting to make these early disciples out to be really believable and and himself really believable and really trustworthy, what is one thing that he would do as he was speaking to Mark saying, here's my story? What's one thing that he would definitely want to make sure would come across? There might be many answers, but one of them I think would surely be this. He would want to make sure that he came across really as competent. He would want to make sure that he came across as somebody who had it all together, as somebody who you would think, yeah, this guy's got it figured out. But as you read Mark's Gospel, as you get to know this Peter, you actually realize, man, this guy does not have it all figured out. He simply does not have it all figured out. There are times when Peter comes across just just a bit... He just gets it wrong. He just makes bad decisions sometimes. He, he, he puts his foot in his mouth. And I'll give you some examples of those before we end. But it's one piece of evidence that we have in the Gospels that we can look at and go, if this was made up just to try to pull the wool over people's eyes, if this was made up just to try to get people to believe a lie, they've really gone about it the wrong way. Because the early characters in the story, Peter and the other disciples, you look at these guys and go, man, I don't know if they're actually really worth following. But that's part of the point, is that even they are saying, don't follow us. They are about following Jesus and following Jesus alone. You know, you can go to a lot of places, you can hear people talk about heroes of the Bible and Peter, St. Peter as a hero, and King David as a hero, and all of these other people as heroes. There's one hero of the Bible, and his name is Jesus Christ. Every other man in Scripture, every other woman in Scripture that we can see is somebody who falls short just like you and me fall short time and time again. The only one who did not fall short in any way was one man, and his name is Jesus Christ, and Jesus alone. So as I was saying, if this stuff was made up, if it was just fabricated, they've gone about it in a really silly way because they present themselves, and Peter even presents himself as somebody that you would think he doesn't have it all together. It's not a con. It's not something just made up. It's not a fabrication. We can trust the gospel records. And I know right there, even in saying that, you're thinking, well, I want to know more. Excellent. We're going to be in this for a long time. Okay, I'm not trying to brush the, the, the question aside. We're going to be in this series for a long time. So do come with, with any questions that you have. Before we wrap up, I want to give you three examples of how Peter gets it wrong. And I want these to encourage this, to encourage us this morning. We're going to get to know a man who in so many ways should remind you of yourself and should remind me of myself. As we read about Peter in the Gospels, we read about a man who messes up time and time again. 
We read about something in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter, he has this huge burst of faith. Okay, Jesus is out on this lake, the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he's walking on water. Some of you will be familiar with this story. And Peter looks out. And he wants to go to Jesus. Jesus says, come, step out of the boat. And Peter steps out of this boat. I know you're thinking this. This sounds absolutely crazy. A man walking on water. But this is what's in the Gospel account. Okay? And Peter steps out of this boat. And he starts walking. And he's looking at Jesus. And he has huge amounts of faith. And he's looking at Jesus. And he knows, oh, I'm not sinking. I'm walking. I'm walking. But then he gets afraid. And what does he do when he gets afraid? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. And he starts to sink. And he calls out. How many of us can relate? How many of us have felt, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have felt a huge amount of faith for something in your life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's for God to break through in another area of life that you've just been asking Him for and asking Him for. And suddenly you feel that you've got faith for it. You're looking at Jesus and you're walking and you're walking and you're walking and it seems like things are just falling into place. You feel like you're walking on water. You feel like the impossible is happening, but then you take your eyes off of Jesus and you lose faith and you start to sink. Oh my goodness, I, I can so relate to this. I can so relate to this. Natalia and I moving from England many months ago to start this church. Look, let, let me be really honest with you. I had a moment yesterday morning thinking about stepping into common for the first time. And the thought pops through my head. What if this fails? What if I'm standing in a room by myself at the front with a whole bunch of coffee and a whole load of cookies? That part would be cool. I'd be okay with that part, okay? But what if, what if this just totally flops? What if this goes horribly wrong? Even though we are carrying something that we would call prophetic words, okay, things that God has spoken over us as a church that God is going to add to us and God is going to grow us. God has spoken that over us. I know it. But in that moment yesterday morning, I just took my eyes off of him and this panic sets in. What if it doesn't work? What does Jesus do to Peter in that moment? Oh, you took your eyes off me. You're sinking. Good luck. You've made your decision. No. He goes over and he reaches out his hand and he saves him. Friend, if you're here today and you know that you're walking something in life that at one time, oh, I just felt so much faith for it. But you've taken your eyes off of him. Know the grace of God this morning. Jesus has not abandoned you. He's not standing over you just going, well, good luck on your own now. You've stopped looking at me. He's extending his hand to you. And he has not forgotten you. That's one example. A second example. This is something that, um, that, that, that super clever uh, religious people like to refer to as the transfiguration. Okay, Jesus, at this one time, he had some of his disciples with him. Peter was one of them. And Jesus was miraculously transfigured. Okay, he was, a, he was a man that just looked like any other man, really. But in this one time, he was transfigured and he shone as white as the sun. Alright? He actually appeared in, in his true glory, just shining like the sun. And Peter's there, and Peter looks at this, and he's seeing this happen. I don't know how many of you are West Wing fans. I love the West Wing. I love C.J. Craig, that character, okay? She's the, uh, the spokesman for the president, spokeswoman, spokesperson. And she is phenomenal. Peter is a spokesperson for the disciples, and let me tell you, he is no C.J. Craig, okay? He, in that moment, sees Jesus being transfigured, and he opens his mouth, and what is the one thing that Peter says, looking at Jesus being transfigured? Not only that, but Moses and Elijah, these dudes that have been dead for a long time, standing there with Jesus, and what is the thing that comes out of Peter's mouth? This is what he says. He says, oh, Rabbi, Jesus, 
it's good that we're here, we being the disciples, we'll pitch a tent for you. What is that? <laughs> like, what is that of all the things to say? That would be like me being on the West Coast when uh, Prince William and Kate were touring the West Coast over this past week and Prince William walking right up to me and me seeing him and him imagine him wearing a crown and wearing some sort of royal garments and all this sort of things and me looking at him and going, Prince William, it's good that I'm here. Let me get you a double-double. <laughs> like it would, just, it would just be totally short of the person that I'm seeing. He doesn't need my double-double. He's a prince. Peter, Jesus doesn't need your tent. He is the creator of the entire earth. <laughs> he doesn't need your tent. Now, this is the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth. How many of us can relate to this a little bit? How many of us can find that there are times, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, where you're trying to justify your existence before God? Jesus, it's good that I'm here because I'm the preacher. I can preach the gospel. I'm the worship leader. I'm good with an instrument. I'm good with kids. I'm great with my family. And those things might be true. And God bless you for it. If God's given you that gift, that's a good thing. But how many of us can at times try to justify our existence before Him in those moments? When the reality is, is God in His grace in that moment with Peter chose to reveal something of Jesus totally by grace. Not because of any sense of entitlement. And finally, this one, and if you're here today and you're familiar with Peter's life, you know that there was a time when Peter denied Jesus three times. It was on the night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus said that this would happen. Peter just couldn't believe it. Nope, 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 won't happen. Yet still, Jesus is arrested and Peter becomes very cowardly. And this girl says to him, I recognize you. They're around this fire. I recognize you. You're, you're with the guy that just got arrested. You, you're, you're part of his gang. You're, you, 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 you hang out with him. I know I've seen you with him. No, don't know who you're talking about. Don't know who you're, No, no, I'm sure that I've seen you with him. No, no, don't. I'm sure. No, I do not know what you're talking about. I do not know him. And he denies Jesus three times. And this Jesus that he had just been following, this Jesus that he did say, yes, I will follow you when given that invitation, then goes to the cross. Imagine the sickening feeling in Peter's gut, knowing that that happens. Imagine your best friend. Imagine denying them. I know this is a heavy thought, guys. I know it's a heavy thought, but this is what it was like for Peter. Imagine denying you even knew your best friend moments before they died. The feeling that would be in your gut, you would be sick. You would feel sick. Peter would have felt sick at denying Jesus, his friend, Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross in Peter's place, in your place and in my place. He dies and he comes back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, as a church, we're going to talk lots about that as well. But the next time that Peter sees Jesus, what does Jesus do? What would you do if that was you? If it was me, I'd be going, I don't want to talk to you. Remember that thing that you did? Yeah, we're not cool anymore. We're not friends anymore. I'm a little bit irritated about that. Jesus, in his grace, speaks to Peter, has a meal with him, engages with him, loves him, serves him. Have you, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life found that in some way you've denied him? Maybe it's not been verbally to a friend if somebody says, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're like, no, no, no. No, I, I, I don't believe that stuff. Maybe it's been in other kind of smaller areas of your life where you know 
that there's something that Jesus wants for you, but you've gone, no, Jesus, forget it. Just forget it. In this moment, I'm going to forget that I know you. What does Jesus do in his grace to Peter? He still loves him. He still serves him. He's still with him by grace. Friend, that's what Jesus does for you. Because you know what? We deny him pretty much daily in some way. (laughs) We all do it. But in His grace, He receives us, He loves us, He continues to serve us and work things on our behalf. So as I'm saying, as we go through this series, and I'll close with this, I want us to be encouraged. Yes, as we get to know more of Jesus, but we're also going to get to know more of Peter. Because we've, become, we've come to know Him as the Apostle Peter. We've come to know Him as Saint Peter. But the Peter that we're going to get to know is no saint. He was a man, men, just like you and me. Women in the room, he was human, just like you. We should be encouraged by this. Anything that Peter had, he had by grace. Any status that he had, any qualification that he had, he had by grace. And as we go through this series, and as you're thinking about qualification, and how, how, what's my identity and my standing in Ottawa, we want you to know the gospel. We want you to know the good news, that when it comes to God, and you're standing before the most important one in the entire universe, your qualification is fully dependent on Jesus Christ, and on Jesus Christ alone. No matter what your boss says, no matter what your spouse says, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your peers, your, your, your friendships, whatever it might be, your identity is secure in Christ because of what he has done. That is where your qualification is found. That is where your identity is found.